1: Welcome to the Bamboo Pastors Podcast, a podcast that explores the joys and challenges of being an English-speaking pastor in a Chinese church. I'm Jalen Chan, and I'm here with my co-host John Mon. Hey, everyone. Together, we host the Bamboo Pastors Podcast. We're glad that you're here with us. Come on in and have a seat at the table.
0: Okay, Jalen, it's uh, good to be back with you recording for the podcast. How are things going for you?
1: Things are going well. Good to see you as well. Uh, so, you know, up here in Chicago, we've been getting a lot of snow recently. And so the last few days, our kids have been playing out in the backyard and we built these snow, I don't want to call them hills. They're like mounds. And we've just been sledding down them and sliding down them. And so it's, it's been really fun. Uh, we've been getting a ton of snow. So we're not huge like outdoor people, but you know, when there's snow and in Chicago, you got to enjoy it. Otherwise it just consumes you. So
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know, I've I've been seeing pictures on like Instagram and Facebook of all the snow and my siblings have been sending me some photos of like the driveway and the front lawn. And I I'm gonna admit, I also am not really an outdoor person, but I when I saw the snow, I definitely missed seeing that. I think like for me, California feels like one giant long season and it's all kind of roughly the same. It's a little bit cooler, a little bit warmer, but otherwise it's the same. And, and so I, I definitely miss, I miss that though. I will say I probably only miss like the fresh snowfall and not like when it turns gray and gross two days later, or when it it's frozen and impossible to shovel that I don't miss quite as much, but
1: Yeah. How are you doing though? How's your week been?
0: It's been good. So this past weekend, you know, we had our church, the youth group has basically been meeting on zoom since the start of pandemic. And this past Saturday, they had their first like gathering outdoor gathering in the church courtyard um, for a, a worship night. And so, you know, I think anytime you do something for the first time, it, It adds a degree of complexity and stress just because you want to make sure things go well but uh generally i feel like it it went it went very smoothly and actually i i ended up sharing like a like a mini sermon or like a devotional that night and it was probably my first time preaching for youth in a year and a half almost two years and also i just feel like going into it i was pretty nervous because because I just felt like, you know, I don't know this youth group super well. I've been here for eight months, but I have not interacted with them a ton. Um, and then to just go in and communicate with students you don't know—that's that's like it felt like day one, you know, in youth ministry all over again. But uh, I th- I think it went okay. So didn't get any negative comments afterwards. But <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they wouldn't say that to me. So yeah. Otherwise, it's been it's been a good week.
1: Yeah, that's great. I think I, I know that that's something you love doing. I know that you love being able to share the Word of God with with anyone really, but but also especially with youth. and so that must have been just a fun time for you and, and really a blessing for them. We're excited to be joined today by our guest, Luke Tillett, who is a licensed professional counselor who practices at Life Place Counseling in Libertyville, Illinois, which is a uh, northern suburb of Chicago. Uh, Luke has worked with a variety of mental health issues and counseled individuals, families, couples, children, adolescents, adults. Uh, So he has a wealth of experience. Luke is also an instructor in counseling at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School in Deerfield, Illinois. And before that, he spent seven years serving as an English pastor at a Chinese church here in Illinois. And so we're glad that he's spending some time with us. Welcome, Luke. Thanks for joining us today.
2: Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here with you guys.
1: Yeah, Luke,
0: it's great to have you on the podcast. I think probably the last time I, I saw you was while you were still serving uh, actively at at that particular Chinese church. And uh, so it's just good to have you on the podcast. Um, we were wondering if you could just briefly share with us your ministry journey and You're calling into full-time ministry, both in church ministry, but now also uh, in counseling. How did God do that in you?
2: Yeah, it's a a complex journey. Um, I kind of sensed my first call to ministry in high school when I was helping with uh, my own youth group, doing some devotionals and so on, and I really enjoyed it. But I wasn't really sure what that would look like. I had interests in uh, philosophy, philosophy of religion, psychology, missions. So there was a lot of different interests involved. It really didn't get uh, clarified until I went to seminary. Did my undergraduate. I spent a couple years overseas teaching English. And then in seminary, as I was doing my MDiv, I took a couple counseling courses as my electives at the encouragement of all the pastors I talked to. And um When I was doing one of them, one of the professors called me out as saying, uh, I think you got some skill in this area. And at the same time, a friend of mine went on a trip to China and came back and was kind of telling me how they found out she was studying counseling and she was suddenly mobbed by the pastors asking her questions about uh, how do you handle this? How do you handle that? And that just kind of brought a whole bunch of things together for me. So after my MDiv, I added a master's in mental health counseling, which was called Uh, counseling psychology at the time. As I was finishing that up, the English pastorate at the church we were attending came open. Uh, The pastor took another call elsewhere. And in thinking about it, I thought it might be a good intersection. It would be ministry. um, It would be uh, in a diverse setting and working across cultures and learning different things uh, across generations, but also would likely have a higher counseling load than maybe a typical pastorate. And so I thought it might be a good place to work, and it was. I loved working there. I loved working at that church. Uh, great pastors that I worked alongside, great leaders there, and uh, the people really had authentic and b- vibrant faith, and that was really fun. But as a seven-year mark was coming, I was realizing the congregation was needing new leadership, and I was needing to hone my ministry a bit more. And the things I felt that uh, were bearing the most fruit as I was pastoring was teaching, and counseling, uh, doing pastoral care. So I wanted to focus in on that. I applied and got accepted to a PhD program in counseling education and supervision. At the same time, I got on staff with Life Place in Libertyville, and I transitioned out of, out of the pastorate into that direction. And then I started picking up some uh, adjunct work at Trinity as well. So all of those things are still kind of going. Um, they've all kind of grown. I'm almost done with that PhD, um, but it's got to knock out a few more things on the dissertation.
1: Nice. I'm interested in how that transition from pastoral ministry to being a licensed professional counselor. What are some of the the differences? What are some of the similarities? And how did you feel about transitioning from kind of the, as you said, you, you were honing your ministry, going into licensed professional counseling. So what did that look like? Why was that more of a kind of a narrowing of your focus there?
2: I feel like as a pastor, you wear so many hats. You have your your leader hat, your teacher hat, your counselor hat, your facility maintenance hat sometimes. <laughs> Hopefully you don't wear that one too much, but um, you just wear a ton of different hats. And as a counselor, you kind of do too, but it is a little more focused in on more a one-to-one relationship or one-on-two and focusing with conversations around change and helping people there. So that was a big, a big shift for me. I really miss sometimes, um, uh, being able to preach or being able to just really open the scriptures and just teach from them uh, directly and teach from my my own convictions and not having to work quite so gently around other people's convictions. I was kind of a bummer and a loss, but uh, at the same time, I do get to do that more often. And I get to work with master's level students who are wrestling through some of these big worldview issues and some of these theories issues and how do I take my my faith in Christ and my uh, faith in the Bible and how do I get that to interact with this field of, of counseling. And so that's just really enjoyable to go on that journey with them. It is a different ministry. One of the big things I noticed was as a counselor, people expect the meeting to last an hour. <laughs> Whereas a, as a pastor, you know, who knows how long it'll last sometimes, and uh, you guys are always on. So counseling was definitely a little bit more limited and structured than, than pastoral ministry.
0: You know, uh, both Jalen and I, we grew up attending a Chinese church and are actively serving in them right now, like you did at one point. And I, I would say probably for both of us, like talking about mental health and just the reality of, of counseling being an important thing ministry to people was not something that we grew up hearing about in the Chinese church. Uh, You know, I don't know what it's like in other churches, but for sure in the Chinese church, probably for a long time, and even now, there's some stigmas attached to mental health issues. What are some of those that you've seen? What are the reasons, I guess, that they they don't want to talk about mental health issues or don't want to talk about counseling?
2: Yeah, I grew up in a predominantly Caucasian American church and they had stigmas against it as well. Um, different ones, but, uh, but still stigma as well. In that context, the stigma was more, you'll lose your faith if you go to counseling, which that's changed a lot. The field of counseling now has a bigger place for spirituality and respecting the spirituality of the client. So that's one thing that uh, pastors can advise their congregants on, bring up your faith the first session and say, you want that respected and want that included. It maybe and ethically they're supposed to honor that. And also there's been a lot of work in how you do this faithfully. How do you do counseling that's in line with scripture? So those were some of the stigmas where I grew up, as well as some overlap with some of the ones I'll just talk about. One of the stigmas that came up as I was pastoring in the English congregation was a belief that if you went to a counselor, that you had really severe problems. You were really messed up if you had to go see a counselor. And that's really not very accurate. We all have issues, and sometimes you have an issue that you can't talk with your family about, or you can't talk with your church about, or whatever, and you need somebody outside in order to help you sort that out and think that through. Other times it's just, you're hitting a new stage of life and you don't know how to, how to navigate that. You know, your kids are turning into teenagers and they're got this attitude and you're not quite sure how to deal with that. And you just need somebody who sees that a lot to help guide you through that or help you figure it out. Um, And that's the stuff that counseling is really well suited for. When it gets, uh, mental health problems get more severe in terms of, you know, losing contact with reality, um, delusions, hallucinations, you know, these sorts of things we're looking at more, uh hospitalization or psychiatry, where it's counseling is kind of in between there. I think another stigma I've run across a lot is what it means to go to a counselor. That uh, it means I'm really broken. It means I have bad genes. It means I have uh, came from a bad family or something or uh, causing shame on that. And again, I think mental health issues have a lot of factors involved. Sometimes there's some genetic factors, not usually. Sometimes there's, you know, family upbringing factors, sometimes not. Sometimes there's, you weren't thinking straight, but sometimes it's, you're doing fine. Uh, Some of the research we found is if you take pretty much anybody and give them the right stressors and give it at the right intensity for the right duration, there you will start to destroy their mental health. Everybody. It's, It's not just one person. So it's a matter of thresholds and tolerance levels, but nevertheless, all of us have that point. And maybe you've been having more stresses outside of you or around you or some stress from internal, but regardless, you've been fighting hard. And usually by that point, you're you're running out of fight (laughs) and your body's letting you know. One other meaning that some people add is that uh, I'm not a good Christian. If I can't handle this with just me and God, that I'm spiritually immature. If I sinned less, if I prayed more, if I read my Bible more, if I attended more services or whatever, then, then I shouldn't have this mental health problem. But we don't think that way about physical illness. Following God is no guarantee that you'll be physically healthy your whole life. Why should we assume that it would be the same with mental health? I, yes, I agree that following God does have its benefits for our mental health. Uh, It's a protective factor, definitely, and and definitely guides our life and makes it more full, but it's no guarantee. And you look at scripture and you see a lot of people who struggled with mental health issues, Jeremiah, Job, Jesus, even in the Garden of Gethsemane saying, guys, I just need you around me right now. I'm, you know, this is intense." Well, they couldn't even do that. But you see that even the son of God was uh, struggling and wanting people around him in that time. So I think that's a, a lot of it. One, one last one I'd want to point out is this feeling of being a burden, that I should be able to handle everything on my own. And if I need help from somebody, I'm being a burden. And the body of Christ just doesn't work that way. We all have different gifts and we all have different uh, weaknesses. And sometimes I need your help. Sometimes you need mine. Maybe I'm getting help from the older generation, and I'm going to pass it down to the next generation, and that's just the way it works. And it builds the body up that way. Sometimes, oddly enough, some of us really enjoy helping people who are hurting or, or struggling. My wife would tell me the time she would see me most alive is when I came home from a counseling session with somebody, and it wasn't because it was easy or because we were seeing great progress, but it was it was hitting a niche that um, hitting hitting something that really. Resonated with my heart and my skill set.
0: You know, we really appreciate just uh, your, I guess, analysis of what are some of the, the, the hang-ups for, in particular, the Chinese church with counseling. I, I would say that just in conversations with different people at, you know, at the church that I worked at, or, or just in in churches for the last decade, um, I've heard all of those in some form or fashion, both from members of the congregation, but also from, from other pastors. And I think there are times when, you know, sometimes you'll hear a pastor maybe encourage someone to just, just pray about it and it'll, it'll get better. And, and realizing how, how there's value, of course, of course in prayer, you know, God has given us so many other resources too to, uh, to receive the healing that we need. And I think sometimes we like really overlook, overlook some of those because it feels unfamiliar or because of the things that you've just described. I think a large part of that traces back to, to just being in a shame culture that it really is something that people are ashamed of when the reality is bringing things into the light, bringing things into conversation, healthy conversations is Always a good thing. Yeah, I just appreciate you sharing that with us.
2: Yeah, I like that idea of bringing things into the light. Oftentimes it's, you're not happy to bring it into the light, but usually the light hits it sooner or later. And it's it's usually better to bring it into the light while it's, you know, smaller (laughs) And, and not so much in crisis and with such high stakes.
1: Yeah, I also appreciated that you mentioned that there are characters in the Bible and even Jesus who had challenges with mental health Issues that needed to be addressed, and I think there are certainly—it's uh, certainly helpful for us to realize this is a universal issue, right? Every every one of us has needs in this way, and it's important for us to recognize when we can and should seek counseling, and, and that I think that's you know um, that's important for us to remember, especially as as Christians and as as pastors. But for the Chinese church, are there? like unique mental health challenges, being in a context that's uh, typically intergenerational, it's cross-cultural, you're throwing in some of these different factors that can challenge and and intensify some of those issues.
2: H- have you seen some of those? One of the things counselors work with sometimes is interpersonal conflict. And it's hard enough to get along with people who are a lot like you. But one of the things that shocked me about a Chinese church is just how diverse a Chinese church can be from, you know, are you overseas born Chinese or uh, Mandarin speaking Chinese or Taiwan from Taiwan? Are you, you know, are you first generation 1.5, second, third, you know, uh, just so much, so much diversity uh, in, in terms of Just in terms of culture, let alone personality and other things like that. So I just think that's uh, ratcheting up the, the amount of diversity people have to deal with and there tends to create more interpersonal conflict or can or else it could cause greater distance and distancing from people. So you can see that inner congregation between congregations. You can see it in trying to have friendships across congregations, marriages, and parent-child relationships, especially as you guys uh, have definitely talked about with youth and so on. Definitely trickier (laughs) to manage that. And even with uh, the, the child or the adolescent, with the larger community here in America and trying to for them to find how do I interact with them and still be who I am, which kind of brings up the other issue I think that's somewhat unique is the journey of finding identity and specifically cultural identity is very unique, I think, for a second and third generation individual. There's been a lot of research on minorities and their cultural identity and the pattern they work through and also from majority and and what is their Model, But I I definitely think uh, second and third generations have a pretty interesting journey in trying to navigate those dual identities, the dual cultural identities. So that can be tricky. I think uh, uh, counseling can help some with that, especially if you get somebody who's gone through it themselves, which I have not. But (laughs) uh, definitely there are some out there. In addition to that, a couple of the things I've seen might be self worth. I know sometimes talking about self-worth or self-esteem in a Christian context can sound a lot like uh, very humanistic and counter to the gospel. But even in within the gospel, we are made in the image of God. We have value in our being and not just in our doing. But I think finding that sense of self-worth as a second or third generation can be challenging because your parents tend to be parenting with a lot of the the values of their home culture, but there's don't have the surrounding supporting context. Uh, some of my my friends uh, at the English congregation were telling me how aunts and uncles would often be there to to praise the kid and support the kid and you know kind of go to bat for the kid with the parents every now and again. But then you come to the states and maybe aunt and uncle aren't there. They're they're far away or there's nobody to take that role. Parents keep their role but they they don't have that additional support. So trying to figure that out as well as the kid not seeing that around, uh, looking around and seeing other kids being praised differently or being raised differently and their relationship with their parents looking differently. And that raises questions that wouldn't be there if everybody parented the same. So uh, I think that can lead to some challenges, along with, especially in the North Shore Chicago area. And I'm John, I imagine in California as well, some of the drive to succeed and kind of the implicit message that your worth is based on what you do and how much you achieve. So trying to work against that, there's a lot of factors I think pushing that in Chinese churches and trying to counter that with the gospel and the truth there can be really helpful.
0: Yeah. So I think from the pastoral ministry side, we definitely, these are conversations and um, subjects that we, that we have to, address that we have to preach on, that we have to teach on. I think a question that I have is there's also a point where, you know, in order to bridge people to like what they need and, and kind of encourage them to maybe consider counseling, you have to do the work of, of teaching. What's the right perspective on that? How is this a, how is this a very normal and healthy way of dealing with different issues that we struggle with? Um, and, And like you said earlier, this is, a, this is a healthy way of trying to change or grow. And, and so I, I'm curious in your time as a pastor, like what were some ways that you really taught on that or um, shaped your congregation's view on that so that that when it came time to them needing to consider um, some sort of counseling that you, didn't, you weren't kind of starting from, you know, ground zero at that point? One
2: of the pieces of advice I got when I was in seminary from one of the pastoral theologians was preach a theology of suffering, preach on, you know, why do bad things happen um, and do a series on it, look at it from multiple angles, help people to, before they're in the crisis, already have a biblical framework for understanding crises. So that was one that I, I, I took to heart and did and did a series on why do bad things happen and It wasn't really a theodicy as much as it was talking about how does the fall affect us? What are the channels through which it causes difficulty for us? It's not all through our own personal sin. Sometimes it's somebody else's sin. Sometimes it's just a fallen creation, you know, and and so on. But also talking about uh, God giving us the body of Christ to go with us through it, uh, that Christ himself bore the brunt on the cross and so on, so uh, creating that theology of, of suffering can be really helpful for when other people are in suffering, and uh, also creates a ground a basis for understanding counseling because counseling can sometimes take more of a biological. Well, you're you're depressed. Let's get you, watch what you're eating, you're sleeping, and exercising. You know, and get focus on some of that for a bit. It can talk about your thinking a little more. You know, well. The fall has affected our thinking as well. So let's let's find the ways we're distorting, distorting things and, and clean that up a bit. So there's just a lot of, um, with that theological grounding, it creates a, a lot of space for counseling to make sense within their worldview. I think another one is finding finding chances to challenge the, the belief that if I go to a counselor, I'm spiritually immature. Or if I'm having difficulty, that means I'm doing something wrong, spiritually speaking. Sometimes you're doing everything right, spiritually speaking, and that's why you're hurting. (laughs) Uh, Sometimes uh, Jesus is talking about persecution in particular. So I think finding those times when you're discussing, uh, run across passages where there's suffering involved, where there's trial involved, pointing out doesn't necessarily mean they were spiritually immature. I think another way of, of approaching it is helping to clarify and maybe finding an analogy that works for counseling what would communicate to them that this is somebody you go to for those for that help not somebody to to just tell you what to do but somebody who who's learned a lot who's a good listener who's there to help you work through things um, maybe they have some good th- ideas that would be helpful to you that you can take or leave. I don't know if it's that's like an uncle or, or a buddy or uh, I'm not sure what the analogy would be, but finding that analogy and using that. I think another powerful one could be just how you handle those who do go to counseling and what you say to them, how you treat them within the congregation, how you speak about those who take psychotropic medication or, or go to counseling or uh, from the pulpit, and the examples you use can be helpful as well. Can be an application point, even as in a sermon of, of working on something. And, well, you know, if you're really getting stuck on this anger issue, you know. Maybe maybe talk to somebody who works with that a lot. Maybe Maybe talk to a counselor for a bit, you know, and they can help you along the way in overcoming some of that anger. So I think those are some ways you can work it in. Depending on your context, modeling, right, to know if the pastor also has gone to counseling can be really formative on the culture. But You have to play that one by ear. And and, uh, if your leadership's not behind you, then uh, you might be uh, setting yourself up for for trouble when they uh, misinterpret what that means.
0: I don't want our listeners to miss something that you said in there, which really stuck out to me was that sometimes it's not just that you're like doing things wrong or you're you know, you're causing this hurt or pain in your own life. There are times when you are doing things right, that you're living the way that God wants you to live. And that's actually what's causing the the hurt and the the pain or the anguish or or whatever struggles that you're that you're going through and dealing with. You know, I, I think we need to see that in in the right perspective. And so I really appreciate you sharing that with us.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, as you're sharing, I'm hoping that you know I know for myself and and I'm hoping for our listeners as well that there is this desire for us as pastors and for our churches to have a stronger partnership with counselors and clinics. I think there are so many resources out there. Are there practical steps that you would suggest for churches and, and pastors on how they can partner with counselors or clinics, things that they can do together to to help benefit the overall health of the the believers?
2: One thing I, I would suggest is getting to know. What are the resources in your area? What are your counselors in your area? If you go on the psychology today they even they have a, a box that counselors can check that they provide Christian counseling. What that means, you have to figure out by talking to the person. Uh, it can mean a lot of different things. So, but um, I think a lot of counselors, particularly those in private practice, are more than happy to sit down for coffee or a meal with a pastor and just hear what's going on for them, what their congregation's like, what resources perhaps the church has. You know, maybe you run a grief share group. Maybe you have a support group for men or something like that. And that might be something uh, counselors can, can mention and bring up uh, to clients who are looking for something like that. But it also gives you a chance to kind of vet the, the counselor and see what, is Christian, what does Christianity mean to them? How do they work with that? How, might, how savvy are they at integrating that into, into counseling? And so that relationship is really big. Uh, and understanding that and having that go to another way you can do it is the congregants. If you do refer them to counseling or they do see a counselor to just follow up with the congregant, how'd it go? Did you click with this counselor? And sometimes it's just not a good fit and let's find another one or encourage them to go back. Another is if there's congregants willing to do a release of information that you can share information back and forth. Sometimes a pastor's perspective on what's going on can be helpful to the counselor—it's another set of eyes that gives a different perspective. Maybe the sometimes the counselor could suggest a couple things that might be helpful for them. So that, that can be one. Another way is like workshops. When I was in the English congregation, we brought in a, a couple times we brought in psychologists or counselors to do a workshop on marriage counseling or marriage or, or depression and anxiety. So we we've done a few of those. Uh, another possibility is like a a short sunday school series or something like that to come in and let's do a four-week series on marriage let's do a six-week series on conflict resolution or something like that that uh, might line up well with some insight from psychology and counseling so that might be some i know some clinics have uh more work more closely with churches some of them even make it like con- contractual that uh, we'll send a counselor to be there at your church for X number of hours during the week. Um, and they'll see whoever's there. So there's, there's lots of ways to do it.
0: You know, for a lot of pastors, uh, you go through seminary, you go through Bible college and you might take like one class on counseling or some, you know, uh, some practical tools or steps. But for the most part, I, I think probably a lot of pastors feel pretty under-equipped uh, or not as equipped as they could be in their ministries. And the reality is that oftentimes the the people that they're shepherding are going to come to them first before they maybe consider going to see professional counseling. So what are some tools uh, that or resources you might recommend for the pastor who wants to grow in this area a, as as they do counseling with the people that they're caring for?
2: There's so much in... in pastoral ministry to prepare for. Uh, it's no surprise that you don't have much room for, for some of this, but I think one of the resources I would point you to um, a lot of pastors like to read. So I'll point out a book first is Elizabeth Sabnoto. I have never heard the name pronounced, but uh, she has skills for effective counseling, a faith-based approach. It's put out by the Christian association of psychological studies, but it walks through the, um, basic counseling skills that a professional counselor would use. How do you listen? Well, you know, what do you say when, when somebody shares something important, what do you not say? Um, So she walks through some of that on just the broad principles that you usually want to use when, when having more of a pastoral care conversation. Um, So that's, that's one I would recommend. Uh, Another thing I would recommend is your work on yourself. That's, as you are honing your skill at identifying your own emotion and how to handle your own emotion or own thoughts, as you learn what kind of uh, grid you approach the world with and how that sometimes distorts things, or you're expecting people to respond one way and that's not really how they always respond. As you become more aware of that in yourself, it, it equips you to help others. As some people say, you can't lead people where you've never gone. And that's very true in counseling as well. So. The Work on yourself is not just (laughs) navel-gazing. It's also helpful for your your congregation. And as you are healthy, as you learn those skills, it will carry over into your counseling at times. If you're wanting for more structured training, you can look into like modules that um, American Association of Christian Counseling, they have what they call Light University, and they'll put off uh, streamed videos, kind of courses that you can do on your own pace get a certificate on for like adolescent counseling adolescence or um, counseling depression and anxiety or whatever. So they're, they're kind of focused. They're a little more specific and get a little more training that way. The the quality on those, I think varies uh, uh, quite a bit, but It is a place to start. If you're looking for more training in just how to use scripture and be a very scripture based teaching scripture, having them look at scripture, assigning scripture afterwards and so on, um, that's more of like a biblical counseling model. They have some good training resources out there for people. Sometimes they'll they'll even have you sit in on somebody who's doing a counseling session for a while and watch how they do it and learn that. So that is another avenue out there. You can also look at the online seminary or seminary yourself and pick up another course, but might not be as practical as you would like as some of these other
0: options.
1: Well, Luke, we're really thankful for your time and your insight. I think this has been really helpful for, for me, certainly as a pastor. I know for us as Chinese churches, we need uh, more conversations along these lines and to have to, to be instructed about these things. But before you go, one of the things that we like to ask our guests is what is one piece of advice or encouragement that you would give to someone that's serving in the Chinese church? Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, along the lines of what we've talked about today, but uh, just a, a piece of advice or encouragement that you'd give to, to to a pastor in a Chinese church right now.
0: Sure.
2: And thanks again for having me on. I I'm, I'm, was really excited at the opportunity and really excited by what you guys are doing with this podcast. So pumped for that. If I could give one piece of advice would be to savor the winds. Savor the blessings that God shows you. I feel like God doesn't often show you all the fruit of your faithfulness. He doesn't want you to get a big head. <laughs> um, and some of it's not not going to show up for a while, but he'll give you glimpses times where you see people change, times where you see a heart really turn to God or see somebody discover a gift and, and start to use it or whatever. But I, I just really encourage you when you see those to, to stop and to savor them, to turn them back in gratitude, to, to mark them, because ministry's got enough difficulties and hardships, but uh, focusing on those wins and those the current blessings that God is giving you can be really sustaining for the long haul.
0: That's a great word, Luke. Thank you so much for sharing with us your time and your insight. Uh, it's such a valuable conversation that I really enjoyed. So thanks for coming on the podcast with us today. Thank you again. Thanks, Luke. That's the end of our episode. Thanks for joining us today on the Bamboo Pastors podcast. Make sure to subscribe to the pod on whatever platform you listen to us on. Rate and review us and check in every week as we explore the joys and challenges of ministry in the Chinese church. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Bamboo Pastors. See you next time.